Take a Bible and find John 20. If you picked a bulletin up on the way in, there are notes, an outline you can follow along as we talk about this passage. We started our sermon series in the Gospel of John on January 12, 2019. That's 812 days ago, and I don't know if you've been paying attention, but there's been a lot of things that have changed in the world in the last 812 days. And I'm not going to try to give you a comprehensive list of those things, but just to sort of remind us of some of the things that have taken place, here's a few of the things that have happened. Uh, Notre Dame caught fire. Uh, It looked like it might be a a total loss at one point, but it was a a significant loss. Other changes that have happened, there was mass shootings uh, to the west of us in El Paso, and there was a mass shooting here in Odessa. Both of those events happened since we started this sermon series. Kobe Bryant died in a plane crash, and one of our superheroes, the Black Panther, died of colon cancer, and both of those were shocking things for people. Uh, I don't think any of you know either of these people individually, but as they're celebrities in our culture, we sort of feel like we know them. Uh, COVID shut the world down, and we had all sorts of protests over the last couple years. There were autonomous zones set up in major United States cities. There were protesters of another variety who protested at the United States Capitol. Those were all interesting events. We have a new president. And uh, how about the oil roller coaster over the last couple of years? I went back and checked on the Sunday that we started this sermon series. Oil was right at about 60 a barrel. And then we went all the way to negative 37, which was really quite an adventure. And then now we're back to where we were a couple of years ago, right about 60. So there's a lot of things that have happened in the last 812 days. Only the Lord knows what's going to be going on 112 days or 112 days from now when we get to 2023 or whatever that year date might be. Who knows what's going to change between now and then. You look back over a period of 800-some days and you say, wow, the world feels like a different place than it was back then in some sense. Here's the good news for us on this Resurrection Sunday is that 812 days ago, the Gospel of John is the true story about Jesus Christ. And this morning, 812 days later, the Gospel of John is still the true story about Jesus Christ. And in 812 more days, whatever oil prices may be, whatever politicians are in power, whatever protests may or may not be going on, the Gospel of John will still be the true story about Jesus Christ. And at the heart of this story, the Gospel of John, there is a call for you to believe. We've talked about this passage over the last couple of years, John 20 30 to 31, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John wants you to believe the truth about Jesus. He wants you to believe the truth about who Jesus is. He says lots of things about Jesus. There are seven I am statements. He says he was in the beginning. He's the word of God. He's the creator. In this passage, John 20, 30 to 31, he says, I want you to believe that he's the Christ, the Messiah. He's the son of God. John also wants you to believe what Jesus accomplished on your behalf. We looked last week at John 19, 
30, where Jesus was dying on the cross and he said, it's finished. He accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished for our salvation. 98 times in the gospel of John, he calls us to believe. It's more than the rest of the New Testament combined. Believe, believe, believe the truth about who Jesus is, believe the truth about what he's accomplished on the cross. And this morning, believe the truth about the resurrection. Now, I started planning this sermon series before 2019. I I started planning it in about 2018. And when I sat down and planned it and I started mapping it out and thinking about how many Sundays it would take to get through John, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we came to Easter on Easter? And when COVID happened, I thought my plan has been ruined. But we, ju- we pressed through, we did not slow down, we didn't skip a beat, and so here we are, three years in the making, John 20, the story of the resurrection. Several things I want to just sort of put out uh, for our awareness before we jump into the passage. Jesus was crucified on Friday. I realize some people disagree with that. That's a minority opinion. He was crucified on Friday. The Sabbath was on Saturday, the first day of the week was on Sunday. I understand that first century Jews did not call these days Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. I'm just trying to help us make sense of the timeline of events. Crucified on Friday, in the tomb Saturday, raised from the dead on Sunday. The synoptic gospels. Let's talk about Matthew, Mark, and Luke just for a minute. When Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about the resurrection, they all describe a group of women going early to the tomb. In what we read in John 21 to 10, he only mentions Mary Magdalene. These are not contradictory accounts of what was happening. Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe this group of women. John, for a reason that we'll see next week, singles out Mary as the one that he wants us to think about. Mary went early to the tomb. But you'll also notice in verse 2 that when Mary goes back to find Peter and John, she says, we do not know where they have taken him. She doesn't say, I don't know. She says, we don't know. There's a little clue in there. She wasn't alone. She went with this group of women. Now, there's two men mentioned in this passage, Peter and John. John isn't named, but he's this other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. We've seen him throughout this gospel referred to in these kinds of ways. And the details we read about these men fit with what we know about these men. John is writing much later than Matthew, Mark, Luke. All of the other apostles have died, and he puts this little note in that says, hey, for the record, I beat Peter to the tomb, right? When it happened in about 30 AD, John was a young man, and he just wants to get that out there for the permanent record, I won the foot race. But it also fits with what we know about Peter in that he was just sort of brash and impulsive and always bursting in like a bull in a china cabinet, and he gets there. John's looking in. Peter just runs right in to check out what's going on. All those details fit with what we know about these men. Here's the big idea of our passage. Nothing surprising on this Resurrection Sunday. After accomplishing our salvation through his death on the cross, Jesus rose from the dead. He accomplished our salvation through his death on the cross. He said, it's finished It's paid, it's accomplished, it's done. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. 
It's interesting to go back in history, to look around the world, and to think about burial customs of various civilizations. I'll mention just a couple that are sort of interesting. Uh, The top left is uh, four mummies. In ancient Egypt, they embalmed their dead, and we dig them up today, and some of them are remarkably whole because of that embalming process. They often buried them with items that they thought they might need in the afterlife or in the next life. The ancient Greeks up on the top right, they would often wrap their dead in some sort of shroud, and underneath their tongue they would put a coin, and they believed that coin was to be used for payment across the river Styx in the afterlife. And so you see this woman who has died leaning forward, opening her mouth, giving her coin, her payment to cross this river into the afterlife. Down on the bottom is a Celtic or a Celtic urn. Many times they would uh, cremate their dead and they would bury them in urns. And then on the bottom right is uh, from the Mayans. The Mayans would often bury their dead with corn in their mouth and they thought that was meal and food and sustenance to get you wherever you're going. And in the Mayan mythology, corn and crops and they're growing every year and they're coming back was sort of a symbol of being born again, of new birth, of rebirth. None of these burial customs, as interesting as they are, were the burial custom in first century Palestine. That's where Jesus died, when Jesus died, the first century in Palestine. Burial custom of the Jews involved taking the body of the deceased, wrapping it in linen strips, and packing those linen strips with dry spices. They did not embalm their dead, which meant after a couple of days they would start to stink. That's why when Lazarus was coming out, four days later they said, hey, he's been in there a while, he's going to stink. And they tried to cover up that stink with the spices and they would wrap wrap these bodies tightly. Typically, they would fold the arms across the chest or down on their waist. They would wrap the body up to about the shoulders. Typically, they would leave the, the neck and the face unwrapped, and then they would wrap a cloth up on the top of the head. To you and I, it would look like a turban. They didn't call it a turban, but that's sort of what it would have looked like with a cloth wrapped up on the top of the head and one sort of wrapped around the chin. That was the burial custom in Jesus' day. They would take the body wrapped up with all these spices. They would lay it on its back in a tomb cut from the rock, and typically they would roll some sort of stone over in place of the opening. All those details really are important to have in mind when you start to read about John's account of the resurrection and Mary coming early and then Peter and John running to the tomb. It's just helpful to have all of those details in place. The question we're going to wrestle with this morning is what does John want us to know about the resurrection of Jesus? Now, I've given you all the basic details of burial. John isn't just focused on the details of how they buried him and what happened when he came out, he's really focused on the meaning of the resurrection. And here's the first thing John would have us to know. Jesus' resurrection was not merely a resuscitation. It's not just that Jesus came back to life. Something more than that happened. He was not just reanimated. He was resurrected. And it's helpful to look at what John says, to read carefully, to pay attention to what he says and what he doesn't say. Uh, Look at verse 5, 6, and 7. 
In verse 5 and 6, John and Peter show up, and they see the linen cloths that have been wrapped around Jesus' body. They're just sort of left there, John says, undisturbed. It's almost as if Jesus' body just sort of vanished or vaporized or disappeared. These are the, the cloths that would have been wrapped up with the spices. Then look at verse 7. It says that they also see the face cloth. That's the one that would have wrapped around his head in this direction, holding his chin up, and then around the top of his head. They see the, the face cloth, the head cloth, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. How do you make sense of that last phrase, folded up in a place by itself? Some people think the idea is that Jesus, once raised from the dead, took that face cloth, that head cloth, and folded it up and set it over to the side separately. That's possible when you read the words that John used. But remember, burial custom was that they did not wrap the neck and the face. And so if there had been a body laying there and the body had been wrapped and then there had been sort of an area where the neck and face were not wrapped and a, a cloth on the top of his head and Jesus' body just disappeared, vanished, immaterialized, then that face cloth would be separate. It wouldn't be with the other cloths. It would have just sort of fallen right in place. There's lots of speculation about these cloths, especially this face cloth. There's lots of theories. Google has all of them. Knock yourself out, okay? Uh, there's theories about Jewish table customs and how the, the master of a dinner or a feast would fold a napkin and set it to one side after the meal. I, I, I don't have any comment on that. I don't know about that. There's speculation about a shroud. You can visit a monastery somewhere and there's a shroud. You can see pictures of it online and people say that is the actual face cloth that was used. It seems very unlikely when you study church history that that's actually the cloth. Look, there's all sorts of speculation. There's all sorts of wild theories about these uh, linen cloths and the face cloths and all the rest. And I think most of them are just sort of wild speculation. And I think they miss the obvious point that John is making. If you read John in context, not that much earlier, you read a story about a man named Lazarus. And I think when John describes Jesus' resurrection here in John 20, he wants you mentally to go back to the story of Lazarus. And he wants you to understand Jesus, alive on the third day, is more than just a resuscitation. It's more than just he came back to life. It's more than just, and I gave you the references on your notes, when Jesus brought Jairus' daughter back to life. Guess what? Someday that little girl grew up and died again. It's not the same as Lazarus coming out of the tomb four days later. He's alive again, but then he had a second funeral. He died again. This is not just a resuscitation, it's a resurrection. And you think about the details that are, that are included in this story. Both men die, Jesus and Lazarus, they both die. They're both wrapped in cloths, as was typical Jewish custom. They're both placed in tombs cut out of the rock. Uh, both of them are sealed up inside of that tomb. Both of them leave alive. That's where the differences end. Because when Lazarus walked out of his tomb alive, he's still wrapped up in his clothes. It's his same earthly body 
resuscitated, brought back to life, that walks out, and they've got to unwrap him. When Jesus left the tomb alive, he leaves not just in a resuscitated body, but in a resurrected body, a new body, a glorified body. And he no longer needs those grave clothes, and so he leaves them. John wants you to understand Jesus' resurrection was more than a resuscitation. Why does this matter for you? It matters because someday you will die. Someday you will die. I follow a a Twitter account called Daily Death Reminder. They tweet one thing every day. This is it. You will die someday. They send it out once a day. I mean, look at this. I know that's kind of small, but on March 29th, that got 833 hearts. Every day they tweet it out. You're going to die someday. You'll die someday. You will die someday. When you die, odds are we're not going to wrap you up in cloth and pack the cloth with spices. Out here in Odessa, odds are we're not going to cut a hole out of any rock and put you inside it with a stone rolled in front of it. We're going to just dig in the sand and toss you in. But you are going to die someday. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower and a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, There's a day coming when Jesus will come back for his people. And those in the tombs will hear the voice of the Son of God. And they will leave their tombs just like Jesus left his tomb. Not with a reanimated body, but with a resurrection body. With a body that will live forever. A body that will not need to be buried again in 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, 1,000 years but a body that will be raised to eternal life. John wants us to see that there's a difference between what happened to Lazarus and what happened to Jesus. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus requires faith and understanding. Again, we just have to read carefully. It's easy to read into this story something that may not be there. Look at verse 2. Mary has gone to the tomb. It was dark. The stone had been moved. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. This is Peter and John. And she said to them, notice what she says and what she doesn't say. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Next week we'll, say, we'll see that she's still sticking by that story. They took him out of the tomb. She says nothing about resurrection. She simply says they've taken him out of the tomb. Then look at verse 8 and 9. These verses are tricky. The other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. He believed. What did he believe? Some Bible scholars say that what he believed is that Jesus had been raised from the dead, but that's not what Mary suggested to him. And if what he believed is that Jesus had been raised from the dead, it's awful strange that in verse 9, John, who was there in this moment, includes the detail. Look, at this point, they didn't understand the scriptures that he would rise from the dead. I think it's more likely that what he believed was the account of Mary who said the body was gone. The cloths were there. The face cloth was there. The stone was rolled. There was no body. He believed that. 
When you step back and read this story a couple of thousand years later, John would have you understand that the resurrection of Jesus requires faith, believing, and understanding. Both of those things go together. I understand that secular, air quotes, scientific people today say that understanding is one thing and faith is another thing. They're not. They're not incompatible. They are very compatible. What is it that we want to understand? We want to understand the scriptures. They did not understand the scriptures that said Jesus would rise from the dead. We want to understand those scriptures. Some of those scriptures I'll put up on the screen, Psalm 16, written by King David, many years before Jesus was crucified, says that you, Yahweh, will not let your Holy One see corruption. And the apostles eventually look back on this and they say, they're talking about the resurrection. Isaiah 53 the suffering servant, not only would he be crushed for our iniquities and cut off from the land of the living, but he would also see his days prolonged and he would see the fruit of his labor. What about the words of Jesus himself in John 2 when Jesus speaking to the Jews in the temple said, destroy this temple and three days later I'll raise it. No one really got what he was saying in the moment, but the apostles looked back and said, that's what he was talking about, the resurrection. Destroy the temple and he would raise it three days later. We want to understand these things. But ultimately, I can't prove to you that Jesus was raised from the dead. I can't prove it to you. That's not what the Christian faith is about. It's the Christian faith. We believe it. I can lay out a long list of arguments for why I believe the resurrection actually happened in history. Our staff's reading a book right now. We just talked about some of those recently. There are very good historical reasons for believing that the resurrection occurred. I could lay them all out for you this morning, but at the end of the day, I can't prove to you that it happened. I believe it. I have faith. It's not the kind of faith that is just a blind leap into the dark, into the unknown. It's faith with understanding. And John would have us to pursue both of these things, believing the resurrection, understanding the scriptures. Thirdly, what does John want us to know? He wants us to know that Jesus' resurrection is described in the Gospels and explained in the New Testament epistles. On Wednesday nights, we're going through a study, our adults and our college and our youth. The study is a study of the Bible. We've talked about the doctrine of the Bible, and now we're talking about how to interpret the Bible. One of the rules that we'll come to in the weeks ahead is a rule that says you allow teaching didactic passages of Scripture to interpret the narrative parts of Scripture. You let the plain, straightforward truth claims of the Bible help you make sense of the stories in the Bible. In other words, what you could say is you allowed the epistles of the New Testament to help you make sense of the narrative, the story of the Gospels. What John is describing is the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And we can pull out some pieces of, of what that means for us. We will someday be raised from the dead. He wasn't just resuscitated, he was resurrected. But ultimately, I've given you a list of scriptures. If you want to understand what the resurrection means, why it's such a big deal that we celebrate the resurrection every year, read some of these passages. 
we could read them now. We're not going to. Perhaps you would like your resurrection celebration to last longer than one hour in this room. Perhaps you would like your thoughts about the resurrection to extend beyond the small window of time where we sit in this room and we sing and you listen to me preach. Maybe this afternoon you could go through those verses. You could take 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and you could read these verses thinking, what do these verses tell me about the resurrection? There's some good stuff. Jesus is supreme in the cosmos. The resurrection proves it. We don't have to fear the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, because of the resurrection. These verses help us understand. They explain why the resurrection matters. And the last point I want you to see is this. The the resurrection of Jesus gives hope to sinners. Hope to sinners. I think this is my favorite part of the story, and it actually occurs in verse 1 to 2, and It's easy to just read it and skip over and get to the part where they're running and they're looking and what are they believing. Look what John says in verse 1 and 2. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went. Notice who she went to. Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. What were those guys, Simon, Peter, and John? What were they doing the last time we saw them in this story? Peter was talking to a servant girl, cursing her out, insisting that he did not know Jesus. John, it seems, was there with Peter, not saying anything, just trying to lay low. And right before that, John was in the garden with Jesus, and when the soldiers showed up, John tucked tail and ran for his life. So we got two men who have abandoned Jesus in the garden and then denied that they knew him or refused to speak up and acknowledge that they knew him or to defend him in any meaningful way. These guys are kind of in the Judas category, you might assume. I mean, they have sinned against Jesus. They've sinned directly against Jesus. And yet Mary doesn't go running to find Judas. She runs to find Peter and John. The question is not, are you a sinner? You are. Just like Judas, just like Peter, just like John, just like me just like the person that you're sitting with and the person sitting in front of you or behind you. The question is not, are you a sinner? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The question is, how will you respond to the Lord Jesus Christ as a sinner? Judas had a response. He responded after he sinned. He felt terrible about the whole thing. He cried about the whole thing. He just was all busted up about it. But he devolved into a downward spiral of self-pity and self-focus, and it became all about Judas. Peter and John also sinned against Jesus. But as you read this story, you realize that they've responded to that sin differently. And when we keep reading in the Gospel of John, and we read about Peter and John and Jesus Later in a a different resurrection appearance, we realize these men have responded entirely 
differently. They've not tried to ignore their sin. They've not tried to justify their sin. They've not tried to explain away their sin. They've acknowledged it. And they feel convicted about their sin. And they keep following Jesus. Listen, Jesus died on the cross and he completed, he finished, he accomplished everything that was needed for traitors and cowards and sinners to be saved. It's finished. And he was raised from the dead so that traitors and cowards and sinners could have hope of eternal life. My prayer for you this morning is that you know that hope. You are a sinner. You have fallen far short of God's glory. You have broken his laws. You have failed to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The question is not have you sinned. The question is what will you do on this side of your sin? Will you just try to ignore it? Will you try to explain it away? Will you walk away focused on self and sort of a downward spiral of remorse and self-pity? Or will you look to Jesus and believe? He died and he was raised from the dead that you would have life. That's what we read in John 20. He did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but they're written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is life. Believe.